Welcome to The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 7 Breakdown. Man, was this a fun episode. Now before everyone's gonna say, oh it was filler, it was filler, it really wasn't. We continued the storyline to find the location of Moff Gideon's ship, as well as we got really heavy character development for Din, who took off his helmet in this episode. Not to mention we got name drops of Operation Cinder, and we got a seismic charge. Anyways, we got a lot to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. We enter the Carthon chop fields as we see prison inmates serving time by disassembling Imperial machines, namely TIE fighters. As the droid walks up to Mayfield, he tells him to salute Marshal Dune, where she remands him in her custody. As they walk around the corner, they meet up with the crew, as we see the beautiful Slave One just sitting there. And of course, Boba Fett, who repainted his rusted up armor. I really like the look. I think it looks a lot like Batman with that matte finish kind of feel. The episode is called The Believer because in the end, I think Mayfield is a believer that the Empire is run by a bunch of murderers and psychos. But if you interpreted something different, let me know in the comments. As we get the Slave One interior, which looks super spacious and beautiful, the crew tell Mayfeld that he needs to help them locate Moff Gideon's cruiser. He has a hard time complying and then realizes, well, he doesn't really have a choice anymore. He says that the information can be found on Morak, to Din's surprise when they find out that an Imperial mining facility is actually being hidden on the planet. This is where they'll have access to an internal Imperial terminal where they can get the information. As they head to Morak, Boba tells us that Morak is mining Redonium. Highly explosive and volatile, not to mention there are anti-aircraft cannons protecting the planet. Or rather, the mining facility. Now you might not remember, but Redonium was used by Sabine and Hera to kill Fearnox on Anexus, the old abandoned Republic base that we saw Anakin, Obi-Wan, Rex, and the rest of the troopers at during Clone Wars Season 7. And while we're talking about Clone Wars, how about that Bad Batch trailer? As they land on Morak, they observe how they're going to execute the mission and get inside the base. Mayfeld tells them that they have face scanners on the machines that detect if you're part of the Republic or if you're wanted by the ISB. Now the ISB just stands for Imperial Security Bureau. Kara can't go as she's now a Marshal of the Republic and neither can Fennec, who's wanted by the ISB. Boba makes a funny remark by saying, let's just say they'll recognize my face. Meaning, they're gonna recognize the face of a clone trooper, and it kinda looks like he has his E-11 blaster back. Mando heads in with Mayfeld once Cara Dune jumps on top of the Juggernaut. She takes the stormtroopers out, and you might confuse these guys with shore troopers from Rogue One, but they look a little bit different. Mando and Mayfeld get in the trooper suits. As we all know, he can't show his face as part of his creed from Death Watch. Now, Death Watch changed their rules after Order 66. A lot of you might be confused saying, well, they showed their face a lot in the Clone Wars, and then also some other Mandalorians show their face too, so even today. So what's the deal with that? Basically, what I think happened was after Order 66 and the Empire took over Mandalore, they really wanted to reserve their numbers in the public eye. And the best way to do this was to remain faceless. Yeah, that's my theory at least. Until we know more for sure. As they drive by a village, Mando stares at a young boy looking straight back at him. This makes me think he's connecting with the boy, remembering himself at that young age when the Republic would roll through his town, or perhaps the droids of the CIS. Mayfeld tells Mando that everyone's got a line that they don't cross until they really have to, which is foreshadowing for when Din actually does take his helmet off this episode. The issue they have here is that they can't drive fast, otherwise the Redonium will explode. 
A couple juggernauts ahead of them with stormtroopers inside get blown up, and we can now see pirates heading for the ship next, trying to plant thermal detonators on the Redonium. I got really excited during this part because I thought we might see Hondo Onaka, but sadly, no, just some pirates that all got destroyed by Din in hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is where we really get to see how expert of a fighter Din is, even without all of his snazzy equipment and Beskar. Also, if you didn't know, blasters do run out of ammo in Star Wars. As more pirates show up, things are looking pretty rough when finally TIE fighters arrive to blast the pirates away, along with stormtroopers taking out the rest, and we've never been happier to see the Empire save the day, with some happy, uplifting music, which is cool, since usually whenever the Imperials arrive, it's a much different tone. Mando and Mayfeld head inside to the stormtroopers celebrating their arrival and their successful delivery of the Redonium. They immediately head for a terminal in the cafe. Upon finding one, Mayfeld heads in and immediately turns around as he spots an Imperial that he used to serve under, Valen Hess. Worrying that he's going to be recognized, he refuses to go ahead and he tells Mando that he has to scan his face, where Din walks up to the machine and finally takes his helmet off after trying with it on. Success at the last second, he's not flagged by the Empire. Upon retrieving the data, he is approached by Valen Hess, to their luck of course. He is asked what his designation is and then what his TK number is. Din has a very hard, awkward time answering the questions properly when finally Mayfeld walks in and continues the Imperial talk, saving him. He tells Hess to speak up as Din lost his hearing since his vessel lost pressure in Tanab. So now they just call him Brown Eyes, which is pretty funny. Also, I gotta say, Pedro Pascal did a really great acting job when his helmet was off. He really sold the scene that he just feels super uncomfortable without this thing on his face. Valen Hess demands to have a drink with them as they were the only ones who successfully delivered the Redonium. Fennec and Kara stand guard outside, aiming down their sights. As they sit for drinks, Mayfeld says they should toast to Operation Cinder. Now, Operation Cinder is a reference to when we learned about that during Battlefront 2's campaign. Operation Cinder was part of Palpatine's contingency plan to be carried out should he ever die. It was essentially that the Empire's enemies shouldn't survive if he didn't. So they set up massive satellites above planets, fired red lasers to mess around with the planet's weather, basically causing Mother Nature on every single planet that they fired upon to go absolutely insane and destroy itself in a blaze of fire and storm. Valen Hess congratulates Mayfeld on knowing his history, when he says he was there during Burnin' Khan, which was one of the planets that they executed Operation Cinder upon. The people who died were around 5 to 10,000, including all of the Imperial troops there. Valen Hess approved Operation Cinder on the planet, and you can tell Mayfeld is hit with a bit of PTSD, or actually a lot of it. Bill Burr at this point is giving an incredible performance, I really gotta give it to him. He did his homework for sure. As Valen Hess defends his actions of murder, he talks about how he made decisions to be where they are today, and the Redonium that they just delivered will make Burnin' Khan look like nothing. To the Empire, Hess says as he raises his glass, only to be blasted in the chest by Mayfeld a second later. This was an honorable move, and I think he is now a believer that the Empire is garbage. The two shoot their way out of there, heading onto the ledge as Kara and Fennec offer sniper support on top of the hill. Boba flies in with the Slave One, and the boys head up to the ship as they leap into it while blasting troopers all around them. Once in the ship and flying away, Mayfeld makes a beauty shot and snipes the Redonium far away and blows up the whole compound. As they escape, two TIE fighters head straight on their tail. 
he released a seismic charge, which is the best sound in Star Wars. Shout out to all my prequelers here who saw episode 2 in the theater, where we all suffered a little bit of hearing damage when Jango dropped a couple of those bad boys on Kenobi in the asteroid field. Like music to my audio receptors. They meet up with Fennec and Kara as they let Mayfield go for a job well done claiming he died in the base's destruction. So, you know, they're just not going to tell anyone. Mayfield probably goes off the planet somehow, and perhaps we'll see him again someday, maybe in Season 3. I wasn't too keen on his character before, but yeah, after this, the performance by Bill Burr and his actual character arc, it was beautiful. It was really great. I'm a fan. Mando tells Kara that he has the coordinates from Moff Gideon, and the Slave One blasts off with that beautiful, iconic blast into the sky. We enter Moff Gideon's light cruiser as his officer informs him of a message and pops Mando's hologram up on the desk. Mando recites the exact same lines Moff Gideon tells him in Season 1, Episode 7, the same episode number as this one. Moff Gideon, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. End of episode. This was a fantastic ep. It had laughs and action, but most of all, it had character progression for both Mando and Mayfeld. And not to mention we got to see a seismic charge, along with Boba's sick new armor paint job. I have a feeling Mando might renounce the whole creed from Death Watch and may join Bo-Katan's Mandalorian creed or the true Mandalorians from Boba Fett if Boba does end up dying in the next episode, which I really hope he doesn't. A path I could see for Mando if they do save the child is to follow the child to a Jedi and eventually oversee his Jedi training. And perhaps he'll be stationed on this base for a little bit, and I don't think he'll be able to give Grogu up ever again. I think this is now going to be like a father-son mission and story going forwards. Let me know what you guys think is going to happen in the season finale next week. I can't wait to see you all at the watch party and for the breakdown and all the theories that I have coming for you in this next seven days. Have an awesome rest of your day or night, and I will see you in the next episode. Until then, remember, my fellow Jedi and Sith friends, the Force will be with you, always.